This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. You're listening to iFanboy's Talksplode with Tom King. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan. This is iFanboys Talksplode, and I'm here. I checked this for the first time in three years uh, with Tom King. What is going on, Josh? What an honor to be back on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I thought this would be fun because I had you and Mitch on uh, about three years ago. You were actually just about to start Batman, or it was just about to come out. Um, And and that time has gone very fast for me, and I'm assuming twice as fast for you, unless it's the opposite. 80 issues later. I'm just very tired. (laughs) Well, that goes along with it, I think. Um, So... I think before I don't know if I think the first issue of Batman had not come out yet and we had talked a bit about you know like how do you approach something like this when when you hadn't you hadn't really gone after that before you'd done you know little runs here and you'd done some mini series and things like that you're in the middle of Sheriff of Babylon I think um so 3 years later having put out are you at this you're in the 70s 80 72 73 I think so I'm writing 80 right now Okay so what so have you learned? It goes to eighty-five. It'll end at eighty-five. Okay. Well, we'll. Almost so, done. what's the difference between now and then? Like, what when you look back at this experience, like, has everything changed for you? Yes. I mean, wait. Before we start, can I talk about you for a second? I wanted to talk about you. I, I mean, you. I love talking about me. I don't know that I love when other people talk about me, but go please. Because <laughs> I don't get to talk to you in person, but I was I, like I was saying to you offline, I stalk you digitally when I. Um, first set up my social media you guys were the first people i knew who were on social media because i was like an iFanboy junkie in 0607 old school old school yeah i i was actually because i was overseas then in a secret location for the cia stuff and I, you guys used to like list oh we got a fan from this place in that place you the frapper some, map yes you had frapper map you would do it at the end of the show and i was like always waiting i was like oh shit they're gonna find out my secret location i'll get in trouble in my poly <laughs> 
<laughs> like Frapper Map is going to reveal. Did you sign up secrets. on the Frapper Map from your secret location? No, I did not. Because that would, that's that's terrible spying. No, it is. No, but I thought there was like, like I was like, was there a way to tell they were down that I was downloading from the secret location? No, because we had internet access. Oh, you know what? There was a thing that was a couple systems ago. I feel like there was a map because the Frapper map was the thing you had to sign up for. So you'd go and oh. log in and you'd you'd pin yourself on the iFanboy section of that. There was a way to vaguely tell where things were being downloaded from. So, like, we would have been able to say, you know, like, oh, so, like, five people in China. It's, you know, there was, there was well, we did 100 episodes in, in Africa. But that was about as, as specific as it got. Sweet. So if you had some Middle East one, that was your... Yeah. So if your minder CIA. is listening, <laughs> I'm sure at some point we were like, that's weird. Yemen. Oh, well. Um, oh, we had the worst connection. With, and you used to do the digital shows. And it was the first time I'd ever downloaded video from the web mm-hmm. to watch your shows. It was all through iTunes. Yeah. Uh, and I remember just waiting hours and hours for those stupid shows to get 20 minutes to like listen to while I was on the fucking treadmill. I'm sorry. Uh, no, but they were great. <laughs> I just want to go back and tell myself not to sit on the couch in shorts and videotape it. Oh my, I recently, I, I'm, I'm such a, I'm, I'm a fanboy, it's a word, but I recently was at some con, it was late at night and I got on YouTube and I started watching the old videos on <laughs> YouTube. I was like, these are great. They're still great. Well, we had designed them to be evergreen. The only thing I think that would bother me, I mean, besides looking back on my youth and being like, this is all, this is what you've accomplished. But like, <laughs> I just know that like, I know how to talk about things now in a way that I didn't then. And I think that if I watched them, I would just hear terrible. This is what everybody says about their work previously. It's just that, like, I just think, oh, you're completely wrong about that. Or like now I make, I take very great care to not try to talk about things I don't know about. And I think a lot back then I had to talk about things I didn't really know about and that bothers me. Well, you guys were very optimistic, which is what I think is the most dated part of it. Like comics Ooh. feel I've gotten so cynical, but you guys are always like the next thing is going to be the great thing. Wow. Um, That's nice yeah. to hear. Yeah. No, it was, it was very cool. I mean, it was like going down memory lane. The, I, that still exists. I think like the, the only difference in that attitude has been, I think the industry's scarier now and sort of the forecast and, and certainly fandom, but the, the craft you know the art, the 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 things that makes com- that make comics great. That hasn't changed at all. I think, and more than ever, like we appreciate craft. I certainly do more than I ever have because I think I understand it better, or at least you know you know what to look for. Like these are the, like oh this is look what these panels are doing. Look what you know. Look at this story arc or whatever. Like I appreciate that more than ever. I'm not tired of that one wit or even talking about that is still exciting. But I I, I do feel those those days where you guys were. Where you just started out like the 04 to to ten, mm-hmm. those that was like a new golden age in comics. Where sort of our generation, you're about the same age as I am. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's like we, we were coming back to comics, having gone out right before college, and sort of finally having a source of income where we could buy shit again. Yeah, um, that's exactly. And it was a good time because it was everything was coming yeah. out out of the ashes of the bankruptcy, and that's right. All that gimmicky shit was gone, and there were real storytellers, and and art got you know. That varied. There was a lot of different stuff, and Vertigo, and all that stuff was. It was a great time. Yeah, and that generation of comic artists, which is, uh, I mean, the the, the 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 one of the great frustrations of sort of comics is, is that my generation is not as good as the generation above us. That Bendis, Millar, mm-hmm. um, uh, Straczynski, all those guys that came in there uh, were just fantastic, and and they and they they, they took their ch- like, like all the great leaps forward in comic books they took their childhood fantasies and took them seriously and so what would happen if we took them seriously and it just mm-hmm. became a beautiful thing 
But then I think that what happened was that there was a lot of that stuff that was like guys who we love Frank Miller, you know, like, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, teasing that out. And a lot of those people have, have sort of grown past that to a certain extent, or at least had their own voice with it. But the thing that changed after that, I think, is that people found a way to make comic books fun again in a way that didn't exist during that time. That's true. There are a lot more silly Silly is not the word, but fun. I, I, he always sticks with me. Is in Super Gods, Grant Morrison wrote, you know, basically he was like, why do I need to know how the bat plane fits into the cave? It doesn't matter. It's comics. Right. Yes. Have have fun. And that changed that changed my entire perspective on comics. That one, because I used to take everything too seriously. Not from a continuity standpoint, but from a like, you know, like, well, you know, is this serious or is this, like, now I, I like, I, I rave in silliness and, and cartooniness and like, just have fun with it and saying, oh, that's just comics. And I think that's better now. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that generation beneath me that's coming in, it's a much more diverse, it's much more, um, not a bunch of dudes <laughs> and, and, uh. And their creative energy, and then they're sucking off of you know their manga influence much more than we were, and and yeah, they're more into the fun and just just, just um, the cartooniness of it, which I think is great. But yeah, I think I feel like I'm stuck in between those two. Well, the thing it's interesting about that though is that I don't know. I mean, so much of the audience has been the same audience for such a long time. Like yeah. the same people our age, you know, and those younger creators who are coming in, I think are good, but I do think that they're different. There's a different sensibility, and I. Th- think that the older people myself other you know like sometimes like what is this how do i latch on to it and so their challenge is going to be to get other people to read it you know to look at it that or or convince old people to like things that are different so both of those are tough i think and that's where their challenge is going to be yeah this is this is the great conundrum in comics is that comics make their money from this bulging generation that sort of came up in the 90s and has aged forward yeah um, and that's where that's where the dollars are made. Um, but when you, but to appeal to a greater audience, you try to get out of that bulge, but then you lose that center and then it all falls apart. It's yeah. like this endless um, snake eating its tail thing or whatever. Yeah, but I, like it's tough and it's you know and it's harder than ever to sort of get those that attention. See, I'm sorry, I don't want to. This is that that becomes a bummer, but it's it's a big challenge. <laughs> You know. It's a big job, but but, uh, but it's fun. It's a good time. But anyway, so yeah, so I so it was so when I first got to social media because I was in I was in a um, CIA, so I wasn't on social media. Mm-hmm. So when I first got there, like the first people I followed were you guys. Like I think you were like my second Twitter follow. Ooh, like I was like, ooh, what is this Twitter? Oh, I know the I fanboys are on it, and you must have been like my third Facebook friend or something, or the first Facebook friend I didn't really know or something. Oh, okay. So because of that, the way the algorithms, this is my theory at least, are all shaped, <laughs> I get you – you guys always pop up in my feeds first. And I even get – which is the weirdest part is, and I have no idea to turn it off. I get emails every time you do any fucking thing. Oh, my god. I know. I get like at least – Sorry. I get a, Josh Flanagan walked his dog. I was like, oh, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't walk anymore. That's how long this has been going on because he's no longer going on walks. No, but I've, I've, so I've yeah, so I've watched your your children grow up and uh, <laughs> and watched your career progress and uh, anyways, it's it's it's, a, it's just wonderful to talk to you, having seen you from digitally from afar all these years. Absolutely, I'm I'm curious if, there, if you've noticed any overarching themes. Like, were you able to follow? Oh, these were the depressed years. Oh, this is the. No. Well, I, I mean, there was. I, I feel like this is weird. This is like a stalker talking to his stalky. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, there. I remember specifically uh, when you were into mountain biking, uh-huh. 
and you and you were just like this changed my life to sort of embrace this and i remember just being like because i was kind of again we're the same age i was kind of going through that thing where you know i was letting myself go and i was like and i was, yeah. I was very inspired by that and i was like he's right i was i was like i'm listening to the gospel of josh you get an email from him every day it must mean something so did you get a bike uh so you know i got a treadmill okay <laughs> i live in the city i can't mountain bike i live downtown dc i bet there's trails in nearby virginia and somewhere i don't know I, I haven't, I, once my kids kicked into like, once the second kid sort of kicked into moving around territory, it got a lot harder. So I still ride, but not, not with the fervor and freedom I once did. I'm hoping that eventually it'll come around and one of them will want to go with me and then I'll be able to go do that more. But it was very helpful at the time that it happened. That's true. Um, not to mention, I owe my entire career to an iFanboy party, which is <laughs> always cool. Did you meet a person at that party? Uh, yes. Uh, so I, I, th- I think it was your second New York Comic Con party. I remember like- meeting you at one of them, the one where there, we were in the basement somewhere, and Jamie McKelvey was uh, the DJ at some point. Yes, that was the one. Jamie McKelvey was the DJ, and like Jason Aaron showed up with Joe Casada uh-huh. late at night, and <laughs> um, and that was, I mean, for me, that was the equivalent of. Uh, uh, almost, I mean, it's not at all the same. So this is a horrible analogy, but it was almost like a coming out thing for me. Because growing up, I had never told people about my nerd. I was very much a closeted comic book fan. Uh-huh. Now I was I was an every week at the comic book store, read comic books over and over from ages seven to fifteen when I had to um, pay, pay for girls, um, sure. or uh, or school supplies or ever was and but but uh but you might want to rephrase it, that <laughs> and that's when i started paying for women whoa <laughs> no, no, no it was literally like when i started going on uh, like a few dates when i, sure, was, no, I, I was like oh crap yeah but i know i know yeah when paying for women that sounds uh, uh yeah I, I, he's if we're not talking about prostitutes just <laughs> lay it out there i got that but in case anybody's a little thick <laughs> um uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, I, but, but it, when I was a kid, if you said to someone I like, even if you said to someone I like Star Wars, mm-hmm. that was a sign that you were weak and that, that you were a target to be beat up or bullied. It was different. Uh, and did you grow LA. up? Did you grow up? Where'd you grow up? In LA, West Los Angeles. Oh, no shit. I think I kind of yeah. knew that, but I must have forgotten. West LA. Oh, wow. Yeah, I grew up uh, where the 405 meets the 10, if you're from LA. The Palms. The Palms, yeah. Palms. I went to Palms Middle School. Okay. That, that was one of the spots that was still a little bit affordable in West L.A. <laughs> when I lived there. And so I'd always lived in the valley. Like I started out in like Western Van Nuys and then kept moving in. And, and by the end, I was about a mile from Warner Brothers. Um, but I'd always try to get over to the west side because that was like, I was like, if I could just move over there, it would be better. <laughs> and then uh, that's gone now. That's not a thing anymore. But Yeah, when I was young, it wasn't such a wonderfully nice neighborhood. I mean, my school was on fire and the riots and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, now I go back and it's all fancies and unaffordable. Yeah. yeah. Like all of Los Angeles. Your parents still live there? No, my, my mother's past. Oh, uh, my mother, my mother was a studio executive. She was, no she was shit. at Warner Brothers. Yeah. She, um, she, she won an Emmy for inventing DVD. She won a technical Emmy. Oh my That's God. That's what was famous for. Yeah. So I got to go to the Emmys and hold the prize when I was like 13, 14 or something. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, that, I tell you, that, that was a watershed technical achievement in my life. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like I love movies. I love everything. And, and I knew enough to know that buying VHS was stupid. 
<laughs> and so I never owned any movies. And then when DVD became a thing, like I was an every Tuesday guy for years. I would go and buy whatever movies I, you know, had wanted that came out on Tuesdays. Comics were on Wednesday, movies were on Tuesdays, you know, and I'm I'm looking to my left and I, you know, there's hundreds of DVDs that of course I, I never touch, but I it was a big thing. Well, I, I mean, I remember, I mean, I was there for all that. So I remember my mother coming home when they didn't know what to call DVDs because uh-huh. they knew they couldn't call it. Was, they originally called Taz. That was the secret name for them because of the uh, Tasmanian devil who spins. Okay. Uh, and that's terrible. Isn't that terrible? Yes. And also it's, it, it was very Warner Brothers and they wanted yeah. the technology to spread. Mm-hmm. So they had to rename it. She brought home a bunch of names and my brother and I, because they couldn't call it because CDs were out then and VD would be, but they couldn't call it VD because of the whole venereal disease. Sure. Thing. So my mother, I remember her bringing home like testing names on my brother and I. I mean, like, is this good? Is this good? You know, it's DVD. What do you think of that one? Like, and then and those logos, like, like the DVD logo, just mm-hmm. as the spinning disc. I remember bringing those home, test, uh, and and her. That's fascinating. Mom. I had no idea. Yeah, that's my mom. Now she was uh, she she rose to become uh, head of the home video department. That was sort of wow. the highest place she went. Yeah, she was the one who uh, she helped write the FBI label that's in front of the. My oh. mother's a fascinating little figure. Uh, yeah, and. And she uh, she was one of the first letterbox people. I remember watching Die Hard, and and, and we, she got the VHF copy of Die Hard, put it in. And we'd watch the Bruce's Will, Will's head be all warped, and she's like, uh-huh. hmm, we should do something about that. Oh man, she's a hero. She's a hero. My mother. So it's interesting it. because I'm totally gonna get back to this Batman question, but you gotta follow the conversation. <laughs> um, Sorry. Nope. Listen, if I'm you, off the rail. If I'm you, and somebody talks about Batman, I'm gonna sigh real hard, and be like, okay, whatever. Um. But um, not not like your friend Scott, who will talk about Batman. No, um, I I'd rather talk about iFanboy. Than yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. Uh, so, what Still my you... favorite all time podcast? Thank you, my I appreciate that. I, I remember I remember literally I had tears in my eyes when Ron left and you did like the one and a half hour episode. Me too. It was like the first podcast to make me cry, or two and a half, whatever. I was in the car somewhere. I was like, don't go. You love <laughs> the X Men so much. <laughs> You you contrast their opinions with <laughs> wrong ones. No. Um Who, So having your mom Batman issue. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm talking Batman. to you now. Okay, yes. Uh having your mom like did it did it having your mom come from a creative position? I, I um you know like in the in the TV and movie industry, you know did that make you feel like the kind of career that you're doing now was more possible cuz one of the things is when I grew up I didn't even know that was a thing. That would exist, you know, and and I think that that would have given me a leg up, even mentally thinking that that oh, there are careers in these type of things. I didn't know about it until I was in my twenties. Uh, no, it was the absolute opposite of that. Really, my my mother was very much convinced that a career on the creative side of Hollywood was a lottery and a sham, and it's sort of no one made it, and you might as well just. Um, she was very much a. Like become a lawyer or a doctor. Uh-huh. Like go on, go go someplace where you can climb a ladder and get a job, not where you can, not where you're you're betting everything on a on a throw of dice. She's like, it doesn't matter how much talent you have, it's all luck, anyway. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh, so had you thought about doing that, and then she talked you down from it, or or is it just it was just oh, the yeah. thing she'd say? Okay, very much. I mean, she's a, she was a wonderful woman, but she had no patience for the idea of a creative life. Interesting. Uh, my father was a my father uh, sort of uh, left the family when I was seven and sort of never came back, uh, and he also wanted to be a writer. He was mm-hmm. one of those kind of people. He wanted to be the you know the next great novelist, uh, the next like Norman Mailer, huh. and 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 never 
never sort of got past that, never wrote the first novel. So I think she sort of saw that as a model of what not to be. Right. And then my brother, my older brother, God bless him, decided he wanted to be a musician. So I was like her only hope. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those things. Then at some point from there, you went and you got an internship at at DC Vertigo, was it? Yes, I got an internship at DC. So I went to school in New York specifically because I thought it was near comic. I, I, I had this like secret desire to always write comics. Uh-huh. And yeah, I went to Columbia in, uh, in New York and got an internship at DC for because my mother was again at Warner Brothers. So she knew Paul Levitz. Okay. Who was sort of her equivalent of another branch. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then she called. Yeah. So like it's total privilege. Like that's a hundred percent old, 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 old Jew networking. Hey, take it, uh, take it where you can get it. I have no, I've, I've like, yep, I would have done the same thing. That's, that's just fine. Um, yeah. So then I got the, but, but it was, it was horribly disappointing in one, I think we've talked about this before, but then the the fact that like I had only grown up on superheroes having stopped when I was sort of 15 and, and never gone beyond that. So when they're like, okay, here's your assignment. And I was in vertigo. I was like, what? Oh, I missed swing and a miss. You know? Oh my God. What year? This is 98, 97. So the best possible time to have ever gone to vertigo. The best possible time. Yeah. No, I I was the photocopy boy. So I was photocopying, um, uh, and, and, you know, uh, preacher pages, uh, transmet pages. Um, uh, what else was there? Uh, Neil was uh, gaming was still in and out with yeah. the dream was still going on. He was helping with that stuff. Ooh. Neil, like I know him, Mr. Gaming. <laughs> <laughs> do you know him? I do not. Yeah, so shut up. <laughs> I would be horribly intimidated, Neil. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Walt Simonson dropped by once. That was the most I was ever intimidated because Walt mm-hmm. Simonson was like a god to me. I was like, now I do know Walt Simonson. He's the, he's my favorite person in all of comics. He's just like he's a wonderful guy. Actually, it's funny as you talk about all these people and you go through them like. Um, I've only met Paul Levitz a couple of times, but like the one time we, we did a show where we like toured the DC office, which they never let anybody do. And we hung out with Paul Levitz for a while and he was so friendly and nice and, and like, like engaged, like there's friendly, like blah, 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 I'm friendly, bullshit friendly. And then there was, there's the opposite. Uh, Walt Sartenson, exact same thing. Like, like I, we interviewed him once and then we sat around chatting with him for a while and he's showed us his, his, his portfolio and was excited to show us what the stuff he was working on. And I was like, that's so great. It was so you know, just wonderful to see. Oh, he's such a mensch. And he's married to Wheezy Simonson, yep. who's one of the great comic writers of all time. And and the two of them are just the nicest. They're like the, um, I don't know, godfather and godmother mm-hmm. of comics. And, and, and they look like, even in today's con market where everyone's trying to sort of make money off of your tables and it's mm-hmm. all sketches are now $500. He sketches for free and he'll sketch as much as you want, but he just has a, he, he has a, if you want to donate to the Heroes Initiative, that's all he does. And he'll, he'll be there all day. Um, so Walt. he, my first sketch ever was, was Walt Simons and they came to the Ithacon in Ithaca, New York, where myself and, and Ron and Connor both went to school too. It was the first con I ever went to and I'm air quoting con because it was like a, a room. Um, but uh, in Ithaca, there was, there was a lot of, there's a lot of comic people in upstate New York and um, Roger Sterling lived in Ithaca at the time. And I think that he brought people in Um and there's a line and I'd never, I had no idea what the etiquette was or whatever. And, and I asked, I was like, can you do a Thor for me? Cause I was very aware of his Thor and I knew that that was, you know, that was the great thing that he'd done. Um, and he sort of draws it and I said, and can you put the hammer in it? And he kind of <laughs> was like, 
oh, we're making special requests. Give me that face. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but he did. So it's like a head. Uh, and then like the hand is sort of, you know, in perspective is holding the, the hammer up, you know, above and to the side of the head. And as he finished it, I saw his face make that like, hey, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> like, and, and he turns to Wheezy, who's right next to me. He goes, look what I did. And <laughs> she nodded. And, and I've never been so happy to get a sketch in my life. It's still on my wall framed because he had impressed himself a little bit. And I love that moment, you know, it, and, and it never got better than that. I've got other art, never got better than that moment. And now in perspective, like in retrospect, it's even better. My, my, he was, he was, my first con was, I think it was probably Baltimore, 2011, 12, and he was the first person I'd ever walked, first comic book profession I'd ever walked up and talked to. And I was so intimidated, mm -hmm. I mean, which is ridiculous because I was like 32 and been in two wars, but I was super intimidated. And, uh, and I walked up and he was taking questions and I was like, well, you know, I went to an Ivy League school. I've been reading comics for my whole life. I'm going to ask him like the one penetrating question he's never gotten before. We've all been there. Dissect this art. And I swear to God, what came out of my mouth was, what do you like better, writing or, or drawing? Oh, God. He <laughs> <laughs> gave me like a, oh. You deserved it. Like a visible Where you're just like, oh, shit. I have failed in this task. Mm -hmm. Run, run. Oh, God. Uh, yes, but he is the best. And so, yeah, out. he did come into the Vertigo offices back in the day, and that was the most yeah. intimate visit we ever got. So did you come around on Vertigo after thinking that you'd been shuffled off into this horrible place? Oh, yes, because yeah. then the first thing I did in Vertigo, the first sort of menial task they gave the intern was to redo the library, and the rule they gave me was if there are more than 10 copies of a comic you can have, you can throw the rest out and you can keep, of course, if you don't want to throw it out. And so I just got up in, you know, a week of working there, I got probably 300 free comics and I just started reading all the old Hellblazers and, mm -hmm. oh. and read all the way through Sandman, which I had never read mm -hmm. and then read all Preacher to catch up. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. Axel Alonso, who of course was head of Marvel was an editor then and Cliff Chang was my boss. Oh, oddly. oh. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was actually a pretty spectacular time and, and a good way to learn comics because I was learning from sort of a different side. Yeah. And, and so many of those people went on to like be comics later. Yeah. Yeah. Shelly Bond was there yeah. and, and, and Karen was still there. She was like in this higher office. She was like, you could, could never visit with Karen. She was too fancy. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. It was, it was actually, it was cool. And, I imagine so. I mean, and I fucking mastered that copy machine. I could do it backwards and forwards. Oh, and sure. I'm, I'm lying. Actually, it's a pretty shitty copy. <laughs> <laughs> but that so, was the day when you had to photocopy. You know, the art came in. You would photocopy it and send it off to the writer so he could do his lettering corrections. Because it was even '98. We were still sending shit in the mail. Photocopies in the mail. It was in the mail. Wasn't even faxing. I guess it, not everyone had faxes. Yeah. That's funny. So. Coming out of there in the middle of that, like you, you know, you had an idea like I want to write comics or make comics, but did you, I mean, did that, did that bolster that? Did you want to do more of it? Or did you have a better idea about how it works? You know, did that, did that, that didn't shy you away from it at all, I assume. Then you joined the CIA. It's, yeah, well, I, I interned at Marvel the next year mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I finally got into the superhero branch of the thing. So I was Chris Claremont's assistant at Marvel in 99. Because he was staff? He was, so they had brought him in, this is right after, 
they did the whole thing where they let Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld take over. What was that called? Like Heroes Reborn or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they had just sort of, that had, that had crashed and they were coming back from it. Mm-hmm. And as their way of coming back from it, they were sort of turning to the old guard and being like, hey, show us what co- what comics used to be. And they hired, this is, this is all speculation. I have no idea the actual truth of this thing, but right. this is my understanding. And, and they'd hired Chris to be the creative director, quote unquote, and so he was in charge of reading every single script that came in and sort of critiquing it. Oh, God. And uh, and he was, God bless him, but he was very widely uh, ignored. <laughs> <laughs> he was writing Fantastic Four at the time, too, if you remember mm-hmm. that run. Yeah, with, kind um, of. Greg LaRocca, I think. I think that's right. And with, when he had a totally different style before he went digital. And, yeah, so that, I mean, that was an incredible learning experience. Uh uh, Chris is as not the most humble guy in the world, but he would sort of, so I just sort of sat there while he read, well, and we would, you know, we, I'd read every, every single script that came into Marvel. I'd read, uh, from like the old school, like Roger Stern stuff, which was just like a paragraph or two for the whole issue to Kevin Smith, who was the, really the revolution in comics that changed everything was Kevin Smith. He doesn't get enough credit for that, but really, yeah, I've never heard uh, that. Oh yeah, for sure. Because, um, uh, when when Marvel Knights started, what, what, what Kevin Smith did was um, he brought in this com- – I mean, I, it gets deeper in this, but uh, comics for most of its life it was sort of a novel with pictures. Uh-huh. So if you look back on like uh, comics in the 80s and 70s and 60s and even, and much, even the 50s, I mean, it gets worse. But there, there are a lot of like – it's a picture with captions, picture with caption, picture with captions, picture with captions. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even the Lee Kirby stuff is that way, and then there's like big big gaps between each picture in terms of of space. Like you show Spider Man swinging in panel one. Oh right. Um, Spider Man's on a building in panel two. Whole scene changes. You're in like an, another city in panel three, and then you show Aunt May in panel four. Like there's just like oh, there's a lot of time between each panels. And what Kevin Smith did was he came in, first of all, he blew up the Marvel method, which, which was standard at the time. Every single person used it mm-hmm. in Marvel. And he said, okay, I'm going to do this like a movie script, like a television script. And, uh, Paul Jenkins came in at the same time was sort of doing was falling similar. And, and so, so if you look, that's, I mean, that, and that's where Bendis Miller and all that, that's whole generation where comics became, instead of being based on novels with mm-hmm. pictures, they became, um, slower movies, <laughs> like mm-hmm. movies became the sort of, um, the thing everyone looked to for how to do a comic. And did scripts, I'm just curious because you looked at them, but like, did scripts look like that over at Vertigo too? Cause I tend to, you know, I always think of Alan Moore's scripts is, you know, famous for sort of detailing everything, every single thing that happens, not so much like a screenplay, but a, yeah, I think plan. that was the difference that Alan, that Alan Moore was sort of an, out, an outlier. Uh-huh. Like he was sort of weird. And then, you know, uh, uh, I'm thinking of um, Azarella was coming in just then. He was doing 100 Bullets. Yep. And I remember his, his scripts were, com- were coming. And yeah, yeah, Vertigo was different. It was a little more laid out and people have seen Gaiman's strips. Are more. But again, though, they are those are guys who are novelists that were writing comics. Like mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman's scripts are very literary. Even Alan Moore's scripts are very descriptive. Yeah. Um, whereas the guys coming in after that, the Bendis... Um, the Miller, the uh, Brubaker, Brian Kavon, Brubaker, yeah. Rucka. Um, those guys' scripts are very TV. They're very like exterior shots mm-hmm. here. This, this. They're, they look like guys who were trained in college to be TV writers, and ended up in comics. Huh. 
I didn't. I heard to think. Of, I never tend to think about it as that it, Kevin Smith being the flashpoint for that. Because I think when I first started reading about you know how to make comics, like that was one of the options it was either that or Marvel way. But I never thought of it as being like that's when it happened. But interesting. Yeah, it was very. It was. It and then and it was of course what happened was at Marvel at the time, which is what oh gosh, twenty years ago now. But and I've talked to Palmiotti about this in detail. But the uh, Marvel Knights was so much better <laughs> than what oh, Marvel yeah. was. Uh, and of course, then eventually they took over the whole company. I mean, and I talked sa- to him about that too. Company. I was like, "You and yeah. Joe saved comics, as far right. as you know. You changed everything using the model that was being set over at Vertigo, but applying it to superheroes. It's just what it feels like to me." That's right. So that that came from sort of the Kevin Smithing of the whole thing. Huh. And that's what so that's sort of the new model that came out of that. He yeah. also started the trend of being really late for everything. So <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Hey, that's always been around. People have constantly been late. Yeah, but when you bring attention to yourself that everybody waits for the thing, then it matters. Well, it's interesting that you say that because we just read and did a show on on Daredevil Born Again, which um, Connor and I – Connor read when he was a kid and didn't really remember. And I never, never actually read it. And going back and reading that, I looked at it like um, – I was like, oh, this is this is where Kevin Smith's Daredevil came from directly. And, and I tend to look at it that way. So oh, yeah, maybe you're talking about sure. a stylistic thing, but um, – I was for sort sure. of – that, that was – that Daredevil was a really big comic for me. I think that was some of the first Marvel that I got back into when I started reading again. So – and that that was the big deal. And, you know, it was the late 90s and I was in TV film school. So Kevin Smith was the greatest thing ever and he was a nerd and all, you know, all that stuff. But um, yeah, I didn't really also, know the influences for it. It was also – just like we were talking before, like the, when I was a kid, it was, it was less cool to be into comics. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith was – as far as I remember, was the first sort of mainstream guy who was talking about comic book stores and Stan yeah. Lee and all the sort of the, – the, the nerd culture that I had grown up with. And so he kind of legitimized it a little bit for us too. So he played a cultural role too. I don't – yeah. And I don't remember I – was, I was young. I took like a break. I probably read comics from like 10 to 13 or something like that and then – girls or bikes whatever it was um and then got back into it you know when i was yes. 19 20 or so yeah and and at that point things were beginning to shift and and i never had like a cultural outcast thing but i was also coming from a, a like i didn't fit in anyway so like i didn't i wasn't playing sports or whatever so i liked that aspect of it but then again that part is the rise of the the era of the nerd this morning i was looking at a, i was at a like a uh getting a breakfast and i was looking at the teenagers there and i went i have no idea who the popular kids are anymore because i think the popular kids look like nerds used to look when i was a kid and i can't tell anymore <laughs> used to be able to be like oh there's the popular ones there's the nerds now i have no idea i still have trouble uh, this is a deep cut maybe or maybe limited west but i still have trouble wearing my backpack on both shoulders wow when I was a kid, you did not wear your backpack. On I remember this. That was a sign you were a nerd. Yeah. Only cool kids wore one shoulder. I still, when I put on two shoulders, I like, oh, oh, hope that guy's not looking. Are you kidding? <laughs> I remember specifically the point when I realized, I was like, wait a minute. Two is way more comfortable. Fuck this. It really is. It really is. That was, to me, that was, a, I, I remember that moment. And then I was like, oh, why did I care about this? And that gave everything that was quote unquote cool. Like, I was like, well, hold on. Let's look at this. This is dumb. That's really interesting. I remember that, though. Yeah. That's a stupid thing that we did. Yeah, it was a very stupid thing. And the did. pegging of the pants. All of it. Um, 
This is this is I'm way off my plan here. This is nostalgia cast. Anyways, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the party. The party in 2012. Sure. Where I, everybody I know was at that party. If you look at comics today, like Matthew Rosenberg was there. Uh, whenever I run into somebody, like, oh, you were at that party. But yeah, I met some guys. I met, I met my, my buddies, Daryl and Chris, who helped me sort of guide my way through. And it was the first time I'd ever talked to anyone who could talk comics at my level. Oh, really? I talked to people who knew comics. Even from when you were working, like, at Marvel in in D.C. as an intern, you didn't, like, there wasn't socializing or people that... No, because at Vertigo, I was the only intern, so there was no one sort of my age. They were Uh just the editors, and I was just kind kind of quiet and sucking up to them. And then there was, again, yeah, there was Chris... But yeah, I wasn't, I didn't socialize with the other end. I talked to Seely, who was a Marvel intern at the same time. He's like, yeah, I'd go get lunch with it. I was like, I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I don't know if I was too weird. No, it was, that was the first time like in a social setting where I sat down with people and I was, and, and they're like, you know, oh man, Civil War started off good. But at the end, I don't know, it <laughs> fell apart. What was the fucking, what was that thing about MySpace? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that was, and that was a huge, that was sort of the beginning of my con. That's when I was like, okay, I want to do this. I want to dive into this. Wow. So, cool. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. You're what? Well, thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so take, take me from like, what is the difference? Like you're, you're now you're well in the gilded halls. You know, <laughs> you've guess. been, you've done, you know, you were put on Batman. We talked, we talked the first time, not the first time, but the, the last time you were on the show, you know, it was, it was a little bit of. I'll try this. And you didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, I, I think you'd done maybe you'd maybe written the first arc. Um, and I think that the book's changed a hell of a lot since the first arc. You know, like, yeah. what did you like? How did you hit your stride with it? Like, wh- how do you look at it differently now than you did like writing Batman? You know, like, like your, your overall view of like what this job means or what it what it sort of entails. I still don't feel that I'm writing Batman. I have to say, like writing the Batman book. Uh, I don't. I literally feel like, by writing the Batman book. I know. I'm. I know. I'm literally writing the Batman book. But I've always sort of felt that Batman was Scott's thing, Scott mm-hmm. Snyder's thing, and that I was temporarily writing a side book while he was deciding what would happen. With I, I remember being before I got into Batman, I was on Grayson and like sitting down with Scott and an editor and Scott was sort of outlining his plans for the next year of Batman. I was like, Oh my God, I'm hearing what Batman's going to be the next year. This is amazing. Now, now when I sit down with my editor, we plan out the next year. I was like, nobody cares about this. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, like, do I, have... I do feel, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I've never felt like I'm the Batman writer. I always feel like Scott's still the Batman writer. Do you have to tell yourself that in order to be able to be the Batman writer? Maybe, maybe that's true. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just like to not think of the pressure, to not think of the hundred thousand people mm-hmm. who read it or whatever. Well, who it's very important to. Yes. To, to whom it is very important. Um, I mean, in that way though, I've often wondered when reading your Batman book, um, you know, it's not, it's not the typical. It's much more psychological than than your average sort of adventure Batman. You have those scenes and there's fights and there's all those things, but I guess seventy two is the last one out. Um, but the the whole monologue from who we find out is Thomas Wayne is at the end. And I was reading sort of the bits of narration slash dialogue. And I, and I was thinking, oh, this seems really, this seems very stream of conscious to me. Seems very, I was going to say poetic, but that's not quite right. But either way, m- not nearly as straightforward as what I would think you would normally come to expect in the mainstream, you know, Batman titled comic book. And you are at a point where you've been doing this a long time now. 
I mean, does it feel like that comes natural or do you still do you feel like you're getting away with something, you know, or, or is like this is how I know how to write Batman. So I'm going to until somebody says don't. <laughs> if I could write sort of that perfect Batman comic where it's this combination of angst and mystery and dirt. Uh, I mean, the best Batman comics I've written is called Batman Dark Knight Returns in year one. Frank Miller did it, right? Like, that's as good as Batman gets. Mm-hmm. You'll never, that, that's the thing about being on Batman is you'll never sort of hit that height. Uh, but you don't want to do that because they did it. That's, that's true. But I mean, when you're on a series like Mr. Miracle, I mean, look, you'll never equal Kirby's Mr. Miracle, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, you read it today and it's not, it's brilliant because, but it's like drinking out of a fire hose, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the brilliance of it is almost too much. It's, uh-huh. it's not a, it's, Kirby was, the greatest mind in the history of comics, but he yes. wasn't the greatest storyteller in the history of comics in terms of his writing. Sure. That makes um, sense. So, so you're like, oh, well, I, I can write the best Mr. Mirror, or if I'm on a vision, I can write the best vision story of all time. But when, when, I, when, I, when I do look at Frank, I was like, this is as good as you can write this character. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this is perfect. Um, and then there is sort of, I mean, you have to eventually let that go. I mean, I'm proud of, I mean, Batman's been, we've done incredibly experimental things on Batman. I know. And that's what I'm saying. And, and I, that's a strength. I want to make that clear. Like I'm happy about that. That to me is more exciting because just doing another sort of, this is a Batman story is super boring. And I, but I do wonder, like you must, I know you're self-aware enough to be thinking like, well, this isn't that kind of thing. This is my kind of thing. Like, where is that coming from? Is this is what comes out when you do Batman or are you thinking I have to do my own Batman because they already did this this other way and that's not going to work for me? Well, I, I Batman is one of those things where I feel – I mean first of all, I, I have the, the, the grand plan for it, which is basically Bane is bad, Batman loves Catwoman. Like that's like the two mm-hmm. things I have to constantly – those are my two north stars. So I always point the ship in that direction. And as long as the ship's moving that way, I can do all sorts of fun things. Uh and, 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 and but with Batman, it's like form dictates function. What I mean is, is that this is a double ship book. Yeah. Uh, which, which means it comes out t- twice a month. And because uh, Batman can't have crappy art, thank God, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that, because it's a book a lot of stores depend on for sales and all that. Sure. That, that means that the art, the putting the art together is very complicated. And, um, so I have to let I have to find out where the art's going in order to find out where the story's going, and I think that has sort of dictated where things have gone. So I design things around the art and around sort of the pace of this double this uh, bi monthly schedule. So that means that you know who is scheduled for which issue, and that script is then tailored for that person. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Of course. I think that makes so, sense. So if you look at. Um, I don't know what's a good example. Like the, the War of Jokes and Riddles is is is, is one a lot of people like, and they they love it for the Kite Man issues, right? Um, but the Kite Man issues are because Mikel can't do double ship six issues in a row, right? So he, we have to have these breaks because I don't like to tell stories where the art breaks in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. So I have to make the story break with the art. Right. So I had to tell little side stories, and that's where Kite Man comes in. So we, I got to give those little experimental Kite Man issues in the middle of sort of this big war story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting. I, I mean, it, that works. That works. And, that, you know, that's what people do. I, I'm trying to think of who did it first. The first that I remember is, like, uh, Fraction and Brubaker on Iron Fist, and they had David Aja for some of it, and then would tell a different part with another artist who we don't remember who. But that became, like, a tool, you know, that we do now to sort of make sure that artists, things come out of time. 
but it works really well. I like it. You know, it's better than the art changes in the middle of the book thing, which is what we used to see for no reason. Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I, I couldn't st- – I haven't done it much on Batman. I think I've, I'm going to eventually have to violate that rule. But I've generally if, – if the art stories – if the art changes, the story changes. Mm-hmm. Almost to a fault. I mean, in fact, to a fault because uh, Nightmares, which people did not like that arc. I loved it. But uh, what happened <laughs> was uh, t- Tony Daniels, who was the regular artist, he had to take a break because he was doing some work on a different um, Hollywoodish project. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly we were out, of, out, of, out an artist. And on a double ship book, when you lose an artist at the last second, we were fucked. Yeah. So I had my, my my outline called for sort of the breaking of Batman, sort of him sort of falling to his lowest point, and and I had suddenly I was like, okay, I can do this all with different artists and sort of hodgepodge it together, or I can do seven artists on seven different one shots. But how do I make that add up to him falling? So for me, that was like, oh, that's going to be such a brilliant challenge. I thought of you know, there's the famous Sandman arc where he has where uh, Sandman tells like six different stories mm-hmm. and six different rests. So that's what I was sort of, I was like, oh, I'll do that. So I was like, I'll do a different dream. This inspired by Sandman. So I'll do a different dream for each artist. So they can, and then I can, I can ask the artist, like, you know, Amanda Palmer, what do you want to draw? I want to do a bachelorette party. Cool. So Mitch Garrett, what do you want to draw? I want to do a horror story. Cool. Um, so it's, it's that kind of thing where you're, you're letting the art, um, you, the story is on track, but you let, you work with your artist to get the best results. Mm-hmm. How much of a say do you have at this point in who's drawing the book? Uh, I, I mean, now I, I'm going to that point where I have a, it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not like I have a say in who's drawing the book. That's a, that's a bad way to put it because um, I like to build books with people, with my friends mm-hmm. now, you know? Well, you get to do that at least. Yeah, so I get to do that, yeah. So that helps. And, and honestly, one of the reasons I say that is that People who have come up with your generation, who grew up, uh, some of them listening to us, some of them, you know, with Twitter, with all that stuff, I feel as if a lot of uh, folks in your class, for lack of a better term, have pretty good taste in art. And whenever given the chance, um, hey, and any influence I ever had on that, great. Um, Oh, 100%, yeah. Well, no, you know, it's like there's a thoughtfulness that goes into like writers, writers used to write. And and just be happy to get published. And now writers have understood like they better pair themselves with somebody who is good for them and is good because that is is and is going to be crucial to their career. I always think of Rick Remender. Now I we had no influence over that. The guy just knows art. Joe Casey was yeah. the guy who was doing that forever back too. Like yeah. they just knew I we have to work with with top talent. Um, and, and it isn't necessarily top talent like big names, just great storytellers and comic book artists. And I and I've you know, there's a through line for me through your work when I think of all, all of, uh, you know, the, the best known stuff. But even just everything you've done, it's thoughtful art choices. And I know that you probably didn't always have the, the power to dictate any of that. But but now, like, that to me seems like it's um, deliberate. Well, I mean, DC, they probably deny it. But, I mean, there is a house style. There's a style they'd prefer. I know. It's sort of an, an ideal. Um, I'm trying to think of who would, like, if you had to dress it up, who would it be? <sighs> Uh, I mean, I mean, Jim Lee would be the best, best version of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere or, between Jim Lee and Jerry Ordway. It's like the yeah, DC House so, style. So, somewhere between Jim Lee. That's perfect. I know. God, I no, know. No like, wonder you're a broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's that. Um, yeah, like 
early early aughts art style. Yeah. Uh, and I love that stuff, but it's not the um, it's not inc- always the most inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been lucky to work with guys who've been sort of off that path. Um, people like Mitch Garrods or um, uh, uh, I've been a big fan of the Jorge Fornes art. Oh yeah, or Jorge, yeah. Oh, boy, I mean that's. Man. Gorgeous. I don't even care if it just, I'm like, this just looks like Mazzucchelli. And I'm like, I don't care more. Well, it's so funny. So I, so I found Jorge on, I mean, I don't know if I found him, but uh, he was on Twitter mm-hmm. and he was drawing these beautiful Batman sketches and people were passing them around and retweeting them. And, and, uh, and I reached out to him and I was like, do you want to work on Batman? He's like, yes. I was like, I was like oh my God. And so I, 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 I was going to say no. <laughs> and so I, I sent the art in and I, I got uh, notes, back, you know, and it went up the chain because Batman can't just be approved by an editor because sure. it's a big book. And it was, and the, the 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 thing was, no, this guy is just, he's just like Mazzucchelli again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's not, he's just, he, that's, <laughs> yes, he is. Like, that's, <laughs> like, that is the worst comment you could get, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love Jorge's stuff. And I, it, I mean, that's, that's actually guy. pretty interesting because, I mean, it's one thing to look at a sketch and be like, that's great. But he's a really good storyteller on top of that, which is not – those two do not always go hand in hand. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I feel like – and again, I, I, don't, I hate sucking up to you, but um, uh, I mean, I first came across uh, – what was the blog car? Blart or – Twart. Twart. It's Mitch's thing, yeah. Yes. Mitch's thing. M- Mitch and Tom Fowler. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's where I it. saw him and swear – all those guys, you know. And like th- those, th- that was my ideal of art, probably because I was influenced by you guys, but also just, I mean, that, like those, that kind of art is what I love. Yeah. And, and I, and I want to, and I've worked with, I think something like Most 80% of those guys. Yeah. I'll never work with Harden because he only works for himself the best. Yeah. That's so you're over that now. I know. But someday, someday I'll get him to hey. do like three panels or something. I, I, I worked with Hardman. I have an unpublished oh, story. Look at you. Look I've, at you. I've, which I feel incredibly guilty about because I've never had anywhere to put it. And I like I think about it all the time. It puts me in a cold sweat. I'm like, I can't believe I wasted this genius's time for this thing that didn't get published. Oh man, I love his art. He's yeah. no, he's, inc- he's incredible, and he's he's one of my favorite people in comics. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you obviously have an eye for that for those for those people and that stuff. Um, uh, the bad. As I advance to the next stage of my career, what I want to do is build these little novels, these things that I like the most, these Mr. Miracles, these visions, these Omega Men's with artists like that. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we'll keep, keep doing that. So uh, uh, you're going to be moving – Like, were you, like, can I ask – I don't know if I can ask this, but I'm going to just like, – You can ask anything. The thing is that the, the, it was going – like Tom went to the convention and they said – you're not on Batman anymore. And then there was a few days where everybody freaked out. And then a day or two later, Tom is writing the Miracle Man movie uh, with Ava DuVernay. Am I saying that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's the New Gods movie, not the Miracle I'm Man. sorry. You're right. But uh, I say Miracle Man? You did. Wow. I thought it was very cool. <laughs> the, yeah, that's big news. No, the, the New Gods movie, you know, and, and then the whole – so there was like two days was, where on, it was weird. I was on Seth Myers. I was on Seth Myers, right? And, I saw it. Uh, 
and and he comes, you know, I, I took my wife, and, and, and so we're backstage in the room pretending we're real celebrities, and my and Seth Meyers comes in, and he's and he's and he's like Tom, and I was like, oh my god, it's really him. Be cool. <laughs> he's younger than you. You know, you're right. Uh, and 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 he's, he goes, goes, Tom, I'm I'm a huge fan of yours. I can't believe you're here. Miracle Man is my favorite book. <laughs> And of course, I wrote Mr. Miracle, and I was like, "Do I correct Seth Meyers? What is the what is the protocol here?" And he's just like, "Miracle Man changed. Miracle Man is another." And I was, I was like, "All right, fuck it. I wrote Miracle Man. I'm into it." <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't been published for years. That's, so yeah, that's I was like, "Yeah, Miracle Man, great." Um, yeah. Anyways, yes. Go. What were we talking about before? I don't uh, know. But now I'm just like, well, at least you knew enough to be that it was just a malapropism. So, um. Yeah. So yeah. So the Ava DuVernay uh, New Gods movie. Yes. So what happened? So what happened? Um, so I, I I write Double Ship Batman. Plus I'm writing Walmart Superman, which nobody reads, but I love uh, much like nightmares. <laughs> and uh, what do you want? Oh, and I'm doing the the the, the next Mitch project right. now, which is. C- and um, so on top of all of that, which means I write a script a week, mm-hmm. uh, uh, six artists depend on me, seven if you count Lee Weeks, um, who's had uh, some health issues lately. So as soon as Lee gets healthy. Uh, so if, if, I, if, if I miss a, a week, an artist doesn't get paid. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's it's Jorge, it's Andy, it's Mikel, it's Mitch, um, who I mean, oh Tony, Tony Daniel, and then I don't know someone else. Oh, someone Jorge, after. Jorge, Jorge. There, I thought I said Jorge. I don't know. There's oh maybe there's a secret project there. Anyway, so it, it, it so at that point uh, I'm pretty busy. Is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. So a script a week has to come out every week, and uh, I was fortunate enough to. And it's a longer story, but sort of get hired to write to co-write this movie with Ava DuVernay, who's this big filmmaker. And on top Miracle of that, Man. Miracle Man, Miracle Man <laughs> movie, be, obviously. It's gonna be Seth Meyers is gonna love it. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be Captain Marvel, Shazam, and Miracle Man would all come out. <laughs> Everyone would just be confused. <laughs> sure. Um, and on top of that, which I was telling you offline, I'm also I have a TV show that I. Uh, created and is is going into production where we have to write screenplays for that coming up where i'd like be in a writer's room and write shit mm-hmm. uh so with all of that coming and then there's a separate thing where dc wants to do there's a big sort of thing coming up with batman 100 i'm sorry to be sort of vague but when i'm talking about mm-hmm. stuff it's not my story i have to be vague about it and they want that thing to happen at the end of 2020. So what that means, and just in terms of stupid schedules, is that Batman, which is bi-monthly, has to go monthly. They want Batman to go monthly starting with 86. That will accomplish two things. Number one, uh, it'll hit the 2021 20, deadline for 100. And number two, it'll take a book off my docket so I'll have time to do all this writing that I have to do yeah. for the TV show and the movie. So then they were faced with two choices where they could be like, can't it take making Batman go monthly means their top book. It's some, it, it's, you know, up there, up there. Um, but, but as far as like book that comes out every month, it's the top book. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, their two top books are Batman and Batman. So that means one of their top books would be dropped, which would be tough for retailers. Mm-hmm. They'd lose, you know, 90,000 sales, 100,000 sales, hopefully. Mm-hmm. every. So they have to replace that book with another book. And what they decided to do to make that up to retailers was to split Batman in two so that there'll be two books. Mm-hmm. Now, the most positive spin I can put on that is that Batman itself, as I have, Lord knows I've proven, um, is a ship with incredible momentum and, and sort of in, a lot of people can guide it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the theory would be if, if I broke off and told the rest of my story in another book, that my audience might follow me. Um, which financially is better for them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's so the you, mo- were not, you were not brought into a secret room and, and told that, listen, we can't have this anymore. No, I was not told. I, I, I suspected that wasn't the case, but that's, that's good. <laughs> I was given this option. I was like, Tom, how about we do it like this? And now, now that this is, again, the most positive spin, because, of course, I'm on a positive spin kind of area. Oh, sure. Uh, but, but I do think the, the impetus behind it was um, that as, as I get older, uh, or as, as I, I kind of just, I want to do, like I said, these sort of novelistic kind mm-hmm. of things. And they realize that Batman is leading up to this huge moment. The end, what's, what was supposed to be in Batman 100, which will now be in Batcat 12, is this like big moment, generational change for Batman. And they realized I wanted to hit that beat in my way. And they didn't want to interfere with that. But the Batman book needs to sort of overlap with lots of events and stuff. Yeah. So they said, well, why don't you hit that beat in your own way and we'll do the event stuff over here. And that was so that was sort of the offer they made to me. And that's what they're like, you, you can you can stay with Batman if you want, but if you want to be by yourself, if you want to sort of create these sort of uh, if, you, if you want to focus on that story and getting to you to that to that moment, why don't you do that and, and we'll take this over? So do that you, was a good offer for me. Do you think of your story as being or does it matter to you? Do you think of it as being canon? Like this is now the definitive thing that Batman is, or are you just telling your story? And whatever it comes after that, or however it's it's stuck in the history of the character, doesn't matter. I think parts of it will be canon. I think the, you know, you know what, the older I am, and maybe the, I don't know, the more cynical or optimistic I am, I, I think the canon is what is good. I think yeah. when you when you write something well, it sticks. When mm-hmm. things are written poorly, this was a big revelation to me when Omega Men came out, because uh, Omega Men was in the New Fifty Two continuity. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, like uh, when I was first, I, I first starting writing, I realized that the Omega Men actually had appeared in New 52 continuity. They had appeared like in some, some very obscure like Hawkman books back in the old days. Mm-hmm. And I read them and they were terrible. <laughs> I know no offense to ever run them. I'm sure they were great. Yeah, but, um, I... but they just, they, they didn't capture the spirit of those Omega Men. They probably were focused on other things. Mm-hmm. And I, I've debated whether I had to wrestle, whether I had to acknowledge these issues. And, and then I, I said, well, no, nobody thinks about this or talks about it or cares about it. Um, so I, I don't think that's continuity because it's just so poor, <laughs> poorly mm-hmm. done. Uh, I mean, so, so that, that, that's what I think. If, if I do something good and I move people, then it'll be continuity. If, mm-hmm. if, if I don't, then it can be ignored. You know, it's funny as I'm even like, as you're answering this and as I was asking the question, I was like, God, this doesn't even matter anymore. Like it, in a way it doesn't in the way that it used to. But I, I guess I was kind of wondering if like that, that's the thing in your head. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of like the Killing Joke, right? The Killing Joke was uh-huh. not supposed to be in continuity. Um, yeah, you're right. When whenever anything is good, it becomes that way because people want to talk yeah. about it. 
or like Harley Quinn, right? She wasn't supposed to be in continuity. She was in animation. Even even going back, I mean, Jesus Christ, like Jimmy Olsen, right? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Olsen was in the radio show. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, like he didn't start in the comics, but people loved him in the radio show, so he became part of continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, good, that's a good answer, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> like I was like, that's you know that well you know from your point of view, it is something you need to think about to a certain extent, but also just. But also don't at the same time. So it's, I don't know, it's interesting. Because you get, a, I think this is the thing where older, older fans, you know, people who are used to the no prizes and the however it used to be, well, this has to make sense. This has to fit with that. And as we get further away from it, it doesn't. And it doesn't matter because you read the story. Yeah. And well, we live in a very fudgy continuity time of DC. And I think I'm mm-hmm. fortunate for that. Let's, yeah. uh, while, while Jeff is sort of redefining what happened with Doomsday Clock. Uh, because it's sort of that slow roll of that book, um, the rebirth continuity is a combination of old continuity and new 52. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little squishy. It's not defined. It's like, I remember it was, it, it was, it was like when we, when you used to explain things before new 52 with, Oh yeah. Well, that was when Superboy knocked on the wall of reality and that messed it mm-hmm. up. Like we're sort of in that time where it's like, okay, this is, um, a Dr. Manhattan messed this up or something. Um, so we live we live in a more squishy continuity. Not true in Marvel. Marvel's different, of course. But uh-huh. DC's a little squishy. And and we and I think they'd like. To, I mean, the problem with continuity is is it's what makes continuity great is it raises the stakes. Mm-hmm. Like when you're like I'm reading this book and it's going to affect other books and it's it's meaningful. Um, yeah, that was uh, that, what was fun with, but that was really sticky that, for me as a kid. Yeah, that was the coolest part. It was yeah. like, holy crap, Wolverine's dead. That means he's dead in this book and dead in that book and dead. Yeah. I mean, and, and and the death means something. If he dies this week and he's back the next week and someone else writes another death then it's fucking useless yeah um so that's what's great about continuity and and that's what makes storytelling in comics great is that you have that um that said uh, certain parts of continuity don't make any sense and if you focus on them too much you'll get lost i mean how right. old is how, how has batman had four partners mm-hmm. and only been batman for 10 years you know yeah um, and and that's that goes back. That's that Grant Morrison thing. I mean, that really yeah. goes like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. And then then you go, oh, cool. And then all of a sudden, there's all this freedom in front of you if you're not trying to solve that riddle on top of everything else. That's right. Okay. Uh, I don't think that you and I have ever had a chance to talk about Mister Miracle, uh, sometimes known as Miracle Man, depending on what <laughs> network you're on. Um, before I ask that question, though, uh, you know, if you had Omega Men in there, like. When did you when did you learn when did you appreciate Jack Kirby? Like how did that happen? Uh, I feel like you have to come to Jack Kirby in a way and it may not be super obvious at first. No, it's true. He's not I remember not I like a many many people I remember at, yeah. at the, in my childhood not really digging Jack Kirby. Absolutely. I mean, but my only exposure to him were like the Eternals, like the late Marvel stuff. Like I didn't have access to Fantastic Four mm-hmm. first first hundred issues as a and kid. You wouldn't would have. A, I mean, I I didn't have context for it. Yes, and I wouldn't have. Con- I think that that I think you were using the exact right word context because yeah. because what first told me that Kirby was something special was in college. I did a, uh, I was a super nerd, so uh, I was in a World War II class. And you could do a thesis on anything you wanted, and I would always. I just, I just got super excited. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So I did. I did. I did a comic book during World War II, huh. 
Um, and I was in New York City's old. I mean, I'm so fucking old, but this is old enough that I like went to the library and looked at my, and a microfiche How in the library. I'm 40. You're 40? Yeah. You're two years younger than me. Sucks to be you. Woohoo, party. So you were you were interning when you were in college. In college, yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes I mean that makes sense as some people do it, but for some <laughs> reason you were talking about when you were interning and I was thinking, well, I was still in college at that point, so he must be a year or two older than me. But okay, that makes sense. I'm way older. I'm I'm forty one this year though. Okay. I think we're like a year behind you. Yeah. For my cyber stuff. I'll be I just turned forty two. Not I mean I graduated, like a few months ago. I graduated from college in two thousand. Okay. Ninety nine. Man. <laughs> Must have been crazy then. Oh man, the jeans were huge. <laughs> when I, all I know is that when I went to college, everybody wore gigantic oversized clothes. And then like the moment that I graduated college, everyone was like, let's dress like Britney Spears. And I was like, oh man, I blew it. <laughs> oh, all the girls I always go wear gigantic sweaters and flannel shirts. And then after they're like, you know what? Let's wear as little clothing as possible. I'm like, oh man, I wouldn't have been comfortable around those girls either way. But you know, from an aesthetic standpoint. It was a lot of flannel. It was a lot. Yeah. Upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Kirby. Anyway, it's Kirby. So I, uh, I was a World War II comic. So I went and did microfiche and I read uh, I literally like thousands of Golden Age comics. I would sit there for really eight hours a day for um, every weekend. Like and war comics or, or just? I was looking for actually war. I was looking for comics about World War II and there actually were fewer than you'd think percentage wise from they the did. golden age from the golden age from so, 19 from, from during world war ii from 40 okay to 40. right right um and there were no men to draw them yeah there's no men to draw. but there were a lot of covers uh-huh. but not a lot of uh interior work that was about world war ii it was more your standard superheroes and, and you would see the standard super and, and after a while you start to see that it was like all like Batman and Robin go to a circus. There's a mystery. They find the guy. It was a lot of people going to circuses back then. Uh, <laughs> and what I started to notice was like the Kirby Simon stuff was just heads and tails above the average Golden Age stuff. That's when I started to oh, like this is like the inking was more scratchy mm-hmm. and the movement was more dynamic. And I was like, these comics are still just on the essential level of reading something as a document and reading something where you're invested in it. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm actually invested in the stories that Kirby is telling some you know 60 years after a lot of that stuff is is hard to read it's not good so i mean i don't mean the kirby stuff i mean the other stuff so yeah yeah so that that's when i first said oh there's something sort of special here Mm -hmm. that was my first kirby-ness of it and then and then as you get older you sort of get into the comic book history and that's when i sort of understood him again in context and sort of worked it and i went back and reread and read eventually uh the fantastic four stuff which is like you know mind-bogglingly good um i'm also a big stanley fan i know he's sort of out of um, although you guys interviewed him, that was cool. I've, I've, we, I was about to brag, not really, but like we got to the point where we, we talked to him so many times that they were like, "You want to talk to Stan at this show?" And I was like, "We don't have anything left to talk to him about." Oh my! So God. like we Fuck kind you. of turned it. No, we still did it because it was sure. like the thing. Oh, like the day two thousand eight. It was like right after I had quit my job to do iFanboy, and we flew. I flew to Los Angeles to go hang out with him in his office, you know, and the, the, we interviewed him. You know, and, and like like shoot with him there. This, that's the best day that I have had in all of this I fanboy stuff. That's the the best day because I sat next to him and we riffed with him. And like that's... he made fun of me. I made fun of him back. He got it and came back at me. And I was like, and I can I can watch because it, we videotaped it. Like I can watch that for the rest of my life and have that be a thing. You know, like 
I have no, I think Stan, I think Jack, both of them are incredibly complex people and characters and to label one as the hero and one as the bad guy is so reductive and wrong and stupid. Like they're, they're both humans who really different from one another, you know, but they, when they work together, it created something. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean like it, it, like the idea of saying like Stanley's the bad guy. Like I, I don't buy that for a second. I've been next to him. Like I, like he wasn't, he's not that, he's not that person. I'm sure he did things that we don't like or that, and probably he doesn't like, but he's there. I've read enough books on those guys now that like, it's, it's very complex and it's fascinating. It's like that for me, it was, it was like the actually knowing about who those men were and what circumstances that was where I got my context, you know, and then I can look at the work and go, Oh, I understand. I see why they're so revered. And now there's no question about it. You look at any Kirby stuff and you're like, well, look at it. Like does not, Look at it. There's nothing like this. There, there, yeah. there was nothing like this before, and there hasn't been anything since. And you know, for my money, I, I got like, I think he needed Stan, but Jack's mind. You, you put that really well before, like that that fire hose I did. Like Jack is, if you look at right now the the, the landscape of pop culture, he's got to be right up there with Walt Disney as like one of the most important imaginations to ever, you know, give to pop culture. How many Couldn't years are we more. down here? I mean, we're t- agree more. 60 years down the road, more 80 if you count Captain America and before that. Like, who's, who's, whose ideas are, are we seeing all the time now? It's, yeah. Yeah, anyway. no, it's in. And I, and I, I was reading, I put this on Twitter, but I was reading a 1983 him, him and Will Eisner where they're Jesus. talking. And, 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 I, and Eisner's like, who, who, who do you think you influence? He's like, I didn't influence anybody. I'm forgotten. In 83, he's oh like, oh my I'm God. Forgotten. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I wish like and and I think he was like that, and I think that he had no idea. Yeah, you know, yeah. he didn't know like people were coming to be his assistant because they were really thinking that he they'd seen it before he saw it. He never got to see it, you know. He didn't, and then by the end, he was really bitter and and not you know wasn't in a position to enjoy it. And that's the saddest thing. I mean, he he, he had I don't know I he, I think. It, he wasn't as bitter as like, say someone like Alex Toth or Steve Ditko. I mean, he, he, yes. he was, he was still the toast of town and the Kirby awards were named after him yeah. and and people were worshiping him a little bit in his time. Yeah. But I don't think he got a chance to know, you know, like no. I read this, you know, you read the story about like, he didn't have any money so that the new gods were, were thing and they could license that to the TV show and he could make some money. Yeah. You know, that he didn't know. He didn't know that people would start to understand. He knew that people in comics knew. But yeah, like now he would know that like everybody knows. And yeah, I think that's, that's amazing. He should know that. Yeah. I'm glad his kids know that. That's something. Um, so, and you thought, well, I should take one of his characters and do it real good. <laughs> <laughs> and make Sorry. it real sad. <laughs> so, I'm, I know that you've answered a lot of these questions probably a billion times. But like at what point, like did you... I guess I think we talked about the vision where you said like oh, I had a choice of a couple characters and I guess I'll do this one and write the best story for it. Like, and is that how you came to Mr. Miracle or, or no? So yes, I've told this story before, but I'll maybe I'll tell it better this time. <laughs> it's kind of like how I approach every single comic. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what happened was Mitch and I were going to do again, go back to the war jokes and reels. I was talking about what I did with Mikkel and Clay Mann. Um, Mitch and I were supposed to do that as a 12-issue series like The Wire. Like, it was going to be grounded and dirty and um, 
Riddler versus Joker, and they were like crime bosses, and the Batman was in between them. And we had, we had set up, Mitch did a poster for it that I have up on my wall, and uh, and we were set to go. And they called me and they said, uh, "We have great news for you. Uh, we the, the Joker versus Riddler idea is great. We love it so much. We want to put it in the main Batman book. We want you to write that as the main Batman book." And I was and I was. I was and I was like, oh, that, that's interesting. But like, and then this is how weird the times were. This is back in the early Batman. Like, but this Mitch Jarrods fellow, we don't think he's ready for the Batman book. <laughs> Mitch, of course, is the currently Eisner, reigning Eisner champion artist. And so Mikkel Mikkel can draw that. And so I was like, oh, well, that's not 100% good news because, uh, number one, it fucked over my, my, one of my best friends. And uh, number two, I just lost the book. I just lost a third of my income. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I went out with Didio was at Baltimore comic con and I was like, damn, you know, this is great, but now I don't have this book that Mitch and I were supposed to do. And Dan's like, Oh, uh, why don't you just do vision? But you know, in DC comics, it's because vision had been a big hit mm-hmm. and the, which was intimidating because vision had been a big hit. And, <laughs> I like how, how nonchalant they want you just do that again. Yeah. Just do that again. Right. <laughs> Uh, there was work involved, you know. <laughs> and we were drinking, and and I was drinking with Dandy, who's who's so much older than me. And I was like, oh, this this will go well, and it did not go well. Soon I was just gone, and he was going fine. And uh, towards the end of the day, he's he's like, all right, so who do you want to do your next vision thing with? You know, Urban, you know, in his big Brooklyn wheezy accent. And I was like, I, I was like, they chose vision for me. You choose. I don't care. Just choose. Because what what I like best in comics is when someone gives you um freedom that's mm-hmm. what i like so if they give you the character then then you have room to run and i and i, I still that from from kirby right like when kirby came to dc he's like well who's the character yeah. you don't care about we don't steal a job and get jimmy olsen yeah uh and so dan's like he threw out mr miracle and atomic knights uh and which was tempting uh, because I really want to do Atomic Knights with Tom Fowler. Uh, but I was like, oh, Mr. Miracle, Jack Kirby. He's like, Mr. Miracle has never succeeded. We've launched a new Mr. Miracle number one every five years. And it never works. I was like, that sounds perfect. No pressure at all. <laughs> I'll just be the, I'll be the fifth one to fail, you know? And I, and, but I get the new gods to play with, so that'll be good. And um, so that's, that's how I got Mr. Miracle. It was just a drunken meal. It was a drunken, that, uh, that was a drunken hand-me-down as a, Constellation Prize for canceling my book. So, how do you get from that to and having an best selling a... trade in the world? <laughs> Good for you. How do you get from that moment to then, you know, the next day, cold light of day, you're, you're rehydrating, you're shit, I got to tell a story. <laughs> you know, like, and, and the story that you told, you know, where does that part come in? Uh, I mean, and it was, this is instantaneous. When I get, um, when someone says to me, you have a new book, it's the most, that's probably the most fun I have in comics. Like that moment of, really? okay, I get to think of a new plot. I get to find a new problem. Like that's so much fun. That's the most fun. Huh. Um, and so, and my brain can't think, like, even though like my brain's like, okay, I'm not going to work on Mr. Miracle for three months. I, sh- I like my brain can't stop. It's like, okay, what, what, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? 
And uh, I remember just like being in a shower in a hotel in Baltimore and being like, okay, what is his superpower? He can always escape. Yeah. So he wants to get into some trap that no one else can escape from. What can no one else escape from? Um, and death. No one else can escape from death. So maybe he just kills himself. <laughs> like that was literally the process. And I was like, okay, so he kills himself to escape from death. I was like, that's pretty fucked up. When you get to that point where you say that's pretty fucked up, then you're good. That's what you want. <laughs> like when you're like, Vision has a wife. That's not fucked up. Vision has built kids. He built his own kids, and that turns him into turn and makes him go mad. Like, oh, that's fucked up. Okay, I'll go with that. Um, of course, you can go too far with that too. So uh, you go from that, but then you also have you know the element of, uh, you know, the, the building a family and the sort of feelings that go around that um yeah so then it emerged which to me was the interesting part not not that the killing yourself isn't but but sort of you know the thing that that connected with me is that um again i know we are about the same age and that we have kids who are of similar age and a lot of the feelings that were in there to me were extremely true and i remember the some of the around the i think the the birth issue or something, you know, I had a very different reaction to it than, than the other guys on my show, um, having not had kids at the time. And then I had, and to me, and I know that Mitch also, um, you know, he's, he's got, he's got a young son. So, and all that was being drawn around the time he was going through all of that. And so folding those things in is uh, in the way they were sort of an unusual choice, uh, not given the fact that in Miracle Man, a baby was born close up and it was filthy um <laughs> i just remember that you know was we that we tried to homage that they wouldn't let us <laughs> hello um would anyone have gotten that i wonder um you know so like like where does all that stuff fit into it where does sort of you know this fatherhood thing i mean it's obviously a huge part of your life so i'm guessing that's something yeah, so, th- so two things happened simultaneously. So after I had Mr. Miracle and I had the idea and the idea that he would kill himself and then what happens next, he wakes up in a world and doesn't know whether it's real or not. That was that was like the basic idea. That was like just a generic comic book idea. Then two things happened. Um, and they, they, and they, they, were, they were not unrelated to each other. Uh, um, one, the whole, the whole Trump phenomenon, not to get political, but the whole Trump phenomenon went out, which to me was... Um, uh, Something completely unexpected, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, but something that completely did not make any sense. Like no one could predict this thing happening. Um, just True. like all the, all, all the rules that I was taught when I was a kid of how America works mm-hmm. weren't working. <laughs> like, I, I feel exactly the same way. I'm, I'm with you. Even, even, even the lessons you're taught as a comic book fan of like um, – you know, if you do good, good things happen to you and all that stuff, like those were all seem to be thrown out the window. Uh, and so, so, so that happened. And I, I had that. I've talked about this publicly a lot, but I had a, um, uh, a, a, a season one of Sopranos uh, pilot, a uh, uh, nervous breakdown kind of thing where I thought I was having a heart attack and up in the hospital and just a panic attack. But like, there's something broken inside me that I have to fix mm-hmm. one of those things. And, uh, and again, I didn't think those were, um, and, and, and that was, that was, I think that was right by the time we probably talked last. Cause it was like, I was coming on Batman. My career was soaring. I was basically, all my dreams were coming true. My, this beautiful wife, beautiful family. It wasn't, I wasn't having this attack because everything was going wrong. I was having an attack because everything was going right, you know? 
And so that meant that something was going weird inside me. And so I had to sort of recover from that. And it was really like a, like my nerves were broken. Like I was shaking all the time and, and it's just like so, something in my, um, my lizard brain was wrong and I had to get at it and try to fix it. Mm -hmm. and, and if you, if you've ever had those things, you can't like, it's hard to get, cause you don't know what it is. It's, it's sort of behind things you can't, you can't quite scratch it. Um, and so, so, so walking around. So then I was like, okay, and, you know, cause you're a stupid writer. You're like the Trump thing and this thing else. I was like, okay, well I'm going through this thing right now. And like every, every single person on earth was writing, well, you know, the next four years are going to suck, but at least we'll get great music, you know, <laughs> like David Bowie was going to come back or something. Um, and I was like, well, I'm this guy. I've won an Eisner for writing. I, I'm literally like, that's like, that's on me. Like I, I really felt personal pressure there. I was like, I have to take this shitty thing that happened and turn it into something artistic, um, both in terms of the shitty thing that happened to my life and the shitty thing that happened to the world. And so that's when Mr. Miracle became from sort of this high-ended pitch to becoming a very personal story about a guy who has something happen to him where after it happens, the world seems insane, which is how it felt when Trump was. And yet he still has to somehow survive in that world. Mm -hmm. and, and the way I survived, the way I personally survived, and you can probably tell from all the fucking rights I write over and over again, I personally survived by leaning into my family, um, which is not how... Which is how I feel my gen generation is surviving, but not how my parents' generation survived. Mm -hmm. Like when my father had his midlife crisis, he ran away and you know got a fancy car and a ponytail. Like when I had my midlife crisis, I sort of tried to become a better dad and a better husband, um, and a better friend. Um, which is what I think a lot of my peers are doing, as mm -hmm. opposed to going the other way with it. Do you? So think, that's what Mr. Rimple was about. Do you? Th and I, and that that all totally tracks, by the way. And I and I think that 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 reads and it doesn't read like this is super obvious. When I, when you say that, I'm like I can see all those things and just which makes it to it's again. And this is my thing. I've used this word context a lot, but sometimes having a context for where a story comes from makes it better. It just <laughs> it it just does. You know, and something you know, like people will say like, oh, the story needs to stand on its own or whatever, which is true. But when you know where it comes from, the people like I'm knowing that watching, you know, a sequence where a baby's being born, the father is into his his kid, knowing that, you know, you are, you know, devoted father and, and Mitch is, too, but he's new at it. Like that that lends something to that work that has more weight than it would otherwise. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, hopefully. I mean, it's it's funny it writing. You, you try to you try to get away from yourself. Like, like I write well when I'm not myself, mm -hmm. like whenever I'm writing me it feels boring but then you find that it, it comes in a circle and you're suddenly writing about yourself again no matter how much you try to avoid it. And, it, and you know you don't want to do that I'm, I, you know I shouldn't say any of this to you I'm going to ruin you no but like, you don't want to do that <laughs> consciously necessarily no, you don't. and I don't want to think about that literally but sort of in the background then you know that this is bolstered by by real feelings and that's what makes you know it's not being made up and, and it's great that if you have that kind of imagination, but it, it means something more if it means something basically. Um, well, I think that's what makes comics great is that it's a deadline medium. So yes. all the, all the comics you're reading, people are behind the gun to make them. Uh -huh. There are very few people who are just like, let's sit around and think for a long time. No, no. It's like, you have to have this idea on Monday and execute it by Tuesday and it's out on Wednesday. That's it's when I was in novels, novels are not that right. Like you go off and research for three years and you, uh, but because it's a deadline medium, people are forced to strip their own 
like you just you're in such a place that the only place you can look for story is inside yourself. So I feel you, you work becomes somewhat like that's why Jack Kirby is so great, right? Because he when he was doing the New Gods, he was like I'm talking about writing a book a week. He was writing and drawing a book a week, uh, and he didn't have time to sort of get into the you know the deepness and, and and map out every plot point. I mean that's that's pure id. Like he's pouring his soul out. You're seeing a guy who was in World War II. You're seeing his feelings on that. You're seeing a guy who was in love with his wife. You're, you, at some point, you just you be, it becomes so raw. It just comes out. It's kind of like the difference. You know, it's like in a movie, like the first take is the good take, yeah. and then there's a bunch of shitty takes, and the 50th take is the, is the good take. Most comics, the best comics are great first takes. Now, Alan Moore makes good 50th take, and maybe someday we'll be able to do that. But and you, Well, you know, and then there's a thing that we – I don't remember if we were recording or not when I said this, but, you know, like I've seen your craft get a lot better, and I think that that's an example of it, is that you are having to like put a script out, but the better – the more you go, you, you know what to include, what not to include, sort of how to – presented how to pace it with a lot more assuredness i think so that that's it's an interesting way to talk about i was talking to another guy uh at a party not for a show um writer um and he it's his quote so i don't want to i don't want to name him but basically i was like how he had he had little kids at the same time um two new ones and, and i was like how are you keeping up and he's like i don't even have a chance to think about it anymore like i just have to do the scripts and in a way, he saw that as sort of freeing. And that, you know, if you're good, you can pull that off. And then all of a sudden, what you get is that kind of id thing that means something, you know. That's right. And, uh, you know, there's other guys like that. I know where, where they, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself from not, you know, like trying to break into comics. And then all of a sudden you have four monthly books and, and there's no there's no time. You just you just have to do the thing. And to me, like that sounds ideal. That's how I would work best. I can't work without a deadline. I can't work without structure. But tell me you ha- I have to finish this thing by a certain time. Okay, I can do that. And that's when you hone it. That's when you get good. Um I'm sure it'll kill you slowly, but <laughs> I, I was in I was at San Diego last year and Frank Miller's um uh assistant or producer um, asked me to be in a documentary she's making about Frank Miller. And so I went to sort of her, she had a hotel room, she had a camera set up there with the cameraman. And, you know, I was like, I was going to be a talking head in the documentary. And I sat down and she's like, what makes Frank Miller a good book? And I, you know, I spewed out sort of the boring cliches that you eventually spew out. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, he combines words and art and all this sort of boring stuff. And then it's, at some point I, I said literally that, I was, I was like, and what makes it impressive is that, that comics are a deadline medium and, and that what you're seeing is a guy who's working and that was when out of the I didn't know idea he popped Frank Miller pops out of the other room into the camera and goes yes this is finally you said something true <laughs> that's a good moment and it was, yeah, it was, I was like oh good oh, god <laughs> thank god you know that's really interesting on the third pitch I hit one I'm so. not kidding you I we read Connor and I were reading Born Again and we'd never read it we've read all his other stuff but for some reason we've never we're... read Born Again that's insane I, to me I know that there was a thing like two or three weeks ago where I want to say Andy Parks was talking about the art in it and I realized like oh, I've never actually read that and I think it's because I had read the first few volumes of of Daredevil uh, that he he was drawing or he was just drawing and then he took over writing and drawing and I like them okay the Electra stuff um, but yeah. I didn't I didn't love it I'll yeah. be you know 
And so I kind of just put off ever reading Born Again, and I didn't. And I and I went back to it, and uh, you know, having sort of had a new appreciation, like, oh right, David Mazzucchelli, like I I know all about storytelling and blah 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 now. Um, and I was reading, and I was like, what is the point of other comics? And dude, com- dude, yeah. I, I was gonna say you're a Captain America fan. Mm-hmm. Frank Miller tells the best Captain America story of all time in like three panels. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> it's insane. It's, insane. it's totally That's insane. Crazy. And so like you've got storytelling happening, honestly, on a level that can't have been happening very pre very much previously in comics. Like yeah. it's a style that everybody is copying to this day. Yes. And yeah. then you've got David Mazzucchelli just, you know. On uh, if, if we're talking about a deadline meeting, we're talking about actual monthly comics back then, just destroying these pages with his elegance. And it, it like at the end, and Connor and I are both having this experience reading it separately. And and I was like, I'm ten pages in. I think this is the best Daredevil story I've ever read. You know, of course it is. But it was so obvious. It, it, all, I'm always I'm I'm actually glad to have read it later because I might not have appreciated it if I read it when I was 22. You would have loved it. I wish I was 15. I would have loved it, but I wouldn't have appreciated it on the same kind of level that I do now. Like where I have am forced to talk about comics that I know however many thousands of people are going to listen to me say this thing, including some of the people who actually make them. And I have to not be an idiot. It's it's, honestly, it's exactly the same thing as the deadline driven writing comics for that. Like I just know how to do it now because I've done it so many times, but I know that there are stakes, so I can't say the wrong thing. So I have to make sure I'm not stupid. So having done that, blah, 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 then this to me was like a gift. Like for all that work, now we're going to show you this thing that you should have read a long time ago, but now you're really going to be able to appreciate it. And that's what it felt like. Oh, that is a gift. Yeah. It, yeah. it is wonderful when you sort of rediscover or, or, or when you're like, oh, I missed one of the classics. Yeah. Oh, sweet. I can read that now. Exactly. You know, like somebody will be like, um, oh, I've never seen Jaws. I'm going to watch it for the first time. You're just like, oh, man, that's great. You know, like I had to come to learn to love Jaws. First time I saw it, I didn't. I was like, that was really fun, but I didn't know why it was great. And then, like, over time, you learn. But if you, you know, that's just the way I like it. And how often am I going to get to do that? I've read pretty much everything else, you know? So it was, it was just a, I'm sure there's other stuff out there, but that's like the, the text. No, I, I had never read Love and Rockets. I always found it too intimidating and you mm-hmm. don't know where to start. And it's like all one story, but it's actually 17 stories at once and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I finally just picked up the volume. Everyone said it was the best volume. And I was like, wow, I'm, you know. I've never read this and I'll read it. I was like, and then my mind was, I was, I was like, what the fuck? This is amazing. I need to go back. I think I tried to read the first one, which I guess you're not supposed to do right away. Yeah. There's like all sorts of rules on how to read it. So I just read (coughs) some old comics journal ranking of them. I found and read that one. Well, and I've also been told like, you know, like, um, you know, like this is the greatest thing forever. And I was like, it didn't, it didn't really jive with me right away. And there's for me a sense of, uh, like, okay, good. I don't have to read all this now. Yeah, no, I get that. Too. You know, so you know, but the same thing. I think we read a couple of years ago. We did uh, uh, Cerebus, Church and State. Um, oh yeah, and I I'd read. never read. I'd read the first volume, and I knew that that was different than sort of the ones that came after it. But I start reading it, and I was like, oh, I see why people talk about it this way. It's gorgeous and it's brilliant, and I know he's either went insane or was insane, and no one knew it or whichever. But it doesn't matter because the comics were good comics. Um, and that's such a great experience to have. I think when you, you know, I'm, I'm sure when you read comics now, you're looking at them in a completely different place than you were, you know, even when you were starting out writing comics or even before that. Like, it's just you're appreciating the craft, you, that deadline thing, the thing where Frank Miller's like, exactly, he understands that. Like, you're coming at it from a different place. I can't listen to movie reviews now without, I don't care what they're saying about the movie. I'm thinking about how they're saying it. <laughs> 
I realized yeah, that the other day. <laughs> I think that's true. Like, um, I mean, it's hard because I know now. I mean, comics is a small community for all its bigness. Like, I every, pretty much every comic book. I don't know. I mean, just four hundred comics a month, but like, say, like fifty percent of comic books would come out. I know the creators of. Sure. So it's hard not to see the personalities of the people instead of reading the words. Um, but I do. I do still get lost in stories. I still. Like, well, I was that's when it's latest, good. Yeah, I was reading the latest Criminal, and I was like, "That's great." But also, I mean, this thing happens where the people who are nice to you tend to like them better. You get you get um, biased that way. You do, but uh, there's also I can tell you. I mean, I don't. I don't think I know the people as well as you do, but I've met probably most of those people doing those however many comics you know in the mainstream or whatever so i you know there's context for all that stuff but there are guys who i really like i don't like their work all that much like i don't think it's bad it just doesn't speak to me it's just different than like it's hard to be like i really like this guy he sucks i know one guy like that um <laughs> there are guys i dislike and i was like man but i love their art it's like how did how did this person produce that i have no See, idea that's trickier because that's, that's much trickier because although that's when you know they're really good I yeah. remember I this is not even like a personal thing, but like a fan thing. Like I I wanna I say I met Warren Ellis once, like a, as a fan sign. It wasn't even met, it was like the you know, signing or meet and greet thing, you know. And he was an asshole. <laughs> and for a little while I carried that with me. And then at some point I was reading the books, I was like, who gives a shit? And there's a there's a sliding scale for that. Like I won't buy uh, Orson's got card books. Like he's too re- reprehensible to me, but he used to be one of my favorite authors. I'm right I can't there get past that. Same experience, yeah. 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 So, but that's not the same thing as like, like, oh, he's just a jerk. I don't care if somebody's a jerk. Their work's good. It's fine. <laughs> Who cares? Oh, I, um, I think about this all the time, especially at signings. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I had a bad incident with uh, Roy Thomas at a signing where he was just a jerk to me, and I, I'm sure like maybe he was just having a bad day or didn't want to talk yeah. or maybe he was you know his stomach was bothering him. Who the yeah. fuck knows? But like for like two years, I was like, I don't want to read that guy's shit anymore. Fuck him. <laughs> Thirty-second interaction yeah. with Roy Thomas, who's one of the greats in comic book writers in the business, uh, and so yeah, you. Have I to did. Be- I did the same thing with Tim Sale forever ago, <laughs> and and I realized, like in retrospect, Tim Sale, now, he's such a nice guy. I know, and I and I realized that I whatever that ten-second interaction was, like he was hungry, he wanted to get lunch, he talked to a thousand people, he had a food head, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, he definitely wasn't a jerk to me in retrospect, but at the time. Like you, and you need that perspective to just look back and go, "Well, that's stupid." And and like I'm over that, but I do think that there's probably a period where I was like, "Oh, that guy was a jerk," which is some bullshit thing that people do to be like, "See, I met a celebrity and I'm better than him," which is. Oh. And then as a as a, uh, uh, I like, this is the thing I was going to talk to you about, but I don't know if we got to it. But like, as a semi public person, and for me, I only mean that like in the context of when I was at a comic convention with people, I had to be aware that when people were going to talk to me, they were expecting a thing, and I should be really nice to them. I was one of those people. I understand. Right. And, and so, and I like once or twice it didn't, it didn't go right. Even it wasn't. And then like somebody wrote something about me about how I was an asshole and that killed me. Yeah, of course. I was like, oh, I hate that. And, and, and like one time this guy, he had a podcast that was actually like a gamer podcast. It was probably bigger than ours. And like he went and said, what an asshole I was. And so then I had all these gamers coming after me and I was like, oh my God. And so, like, I had to go way out of my way to, like, I'm still friends with the guy to this day. Like, we'll chat or whatever, you know, like, and I was like, no, you're, I promise I wasn't, I don't, I can't be an asshole. You don't understand. My grandma would not like that. So, 
Anyway, <laughs> I had this happen recently. I don't mind naming the guy too. So uh, I I love I love comics history as you can hear. I just yeah. so so what I do when I want to relax is I like to read about old comic gossip and stuff like about the eighties because it doesn't matter anymore. So it's wonderful to see that people like hated you know fucking Secret War when it came out or some shit. Um, so I read old comics journals a lot, <laughs> uh, which you know they're really saucy and all that. And one of the, the editor's comics journal at the end was Tom Spurgeon. And so I, I read, and I was like reading his columns, and, and then he reached out to me um, when this 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 story broke. I, there was a story that I faked my CIA thing, or that I hadn't proven that I was in right. the CIA. And he reached out to me, and uh, and he's like, "Hey, Tom, uh, I need to comment on this. Were you actually in this?" I was like, "Yeah, fucking, I was there. Like DC <laughs> Comics can check." And then he's he's like, "Well, I don't know if I believe you." I was like, well, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> He's, 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 he's like, well, I'm just gathering facts. He's like, no, no, no. I was really – I started seeing pictures of like pay stubs and like mm-hmm. medals I had gotten and like just the shit I have lying around because you can't just call the CIA and say prove I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, although DC Comics can do that and they did. Uh, and he was and, – and as he went on, he was getting – I was, I was like, oh, he, he, he thinks I'm faking this and then he's like discovering this story. And I was getting madder and madder. I was like, no, I love reading old comics journals. Don't do this to me. Don't be this asshole online <laughs> who accuses me of faking something I didn't fake. I was like begging him. I was like, just don't be an asshole because I just want to read your old shit and not think about you. <laughs> and that turned out okay? Or uh yeah, I still read his old shit, so okay, it's great. That's fine. He wrote a great he co wrote a great book on Stanley. Yeah, no, I love it's it's sad when yeah. It's yeah. he's a, I, I love his stuff. So I if it makes you feel any better, once I saw all that going down, I was like, This is all complete bullshit. And I, and I mean it from the point of view, like, I was like, I've, I know Tom. I've met Tom. He, I don't think so. <laughs> like, I, like, who would do this? Why would you do this? Sorry. I had a moment. And I think it was one of those things where I was like, I feel like ranting on this. And I thought, that's not going to do anybody any good. So I'm not going to. <laughs> My wife was so upset. She was really, really mad. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, but it was, it was funny because I got out my old sort of packages from back in the day and I found all the letters she had written to me when I was overseas and I was like should I publish these she's like get these fucking people yeah no and it's not uh, the way to go And but you feel like yeah it's wrong I'm sorry <laughs> what's that like now being at a show and being the guy that everybody knows now and wants to line up and, and make friends with and have you sign stuff and, and you know you were on the other side of that table for a long time yeah uh, it's, it's, it's weird, but I mean, I, uh, I mean, super, so I just did this USO trip, which was fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, with me, Jim Lee and, uh, three TV stars from flash, uh, from flash and, uh, black lightning. Mm-hmm. And Jim Lee is like a much bigger celebrity than I am. And of course the movie stars were much bigger celebrities than both of us. Um, so like I was trying to explain there. They, so they all, we're looking at me like, and who are you, Mr. King? You know? mm-hmm. And I just sort of felt, I was like, well, I'm not really like, nobody knows who I am unless I'm at a con, in which case everybody suddenly knows who yeah. I am. So it's a very surreal sort of. I want to bring my mother to a comic convention with me someday. <laughs> it's, it's the best thing that ever happened is I was in New York City with her in uh, like one of those winter outdoor things. And uh, somebody came up out of the buzz, my mom and my wife and maybe one of my wife's relatives, like her cousin or something. And somebody came into her up and interrupted me. I was like, Oh, I just want to say, I love the show. And thank you. And I was like, thank you so much for doing this now. Like it's with in front of my mom. That was the best thing you could ever do. Anything I can do for you. Just let me know. But that's the only time that would ever happen because 
I'm not known anywhere for any other reason. But anyway, I, I'm saying I understand. Yeah. So, yeah, we live similar lives in that way. Yeah. Well, uh, I and mean, it's the thing, like, you're really well known. Things that you say online or in your work, you know, will live on a long time. We'll get commented on, move around. But when you walk down the street, you know, you're yeah. just a, you're just some dude. And, you know, that, so 99% of your life, you've got kids. You're you're doing the, you know, the stuff in life. You're 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 a working dad. You're doing all that. Stuff. You know, it's such a weird disconnect. I must be, I assume. It is sort of weird. Yeah, it's very disconnected. And then you you find someone who overlaps between the two worlds, and you're yeah. like, oh, you speak this language, you know? Where they're like, my wife will be working with some random person, and I'll and I'll shake their hand. What do you do for a living? Oh, you're that Tom King. Uh-huh. And, then, and then suddenly you're switching into mode. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. They're like, so what's gonna happen with Batman Catwoman? You're like, oh my god, you actually care about this? Oh, okay, well yeah, then you're that you're then you're you're like, okay, let's talk. Like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm among my people now. Well, that's a nice way to look at it. Connor was at a wedding once and like the guy over for him was like, I'm a big fan of the show. And he was like, oh, no, <laughs> just because, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want to I don't want to do that. But uh, but it's also it's super fun. It's super flattering. I know that it's it's oh, do you man. get recognized like in a, like in public. Uh, it increased for a little while after the Seth Meyers thing. I think that people hmm. especially especially at. Uh, yeah, but I mean. Once in a while, I really like when my kids are around. I was like, my kids think I'm cool because they'll be like, hey, you're Tom King. Will you sign my hat? You know, sign my thing. But uh, it's uh, it's rare. The, the, the Ava DuVernay thing because she's, she's yeah. got a big following. So a lot of her fans now sort of recognize who I am. So sometimes I run into those people. That's nice. Um, it's got to be just yeah. enough. Like, like that's enough public notoriety. Like you can feel good about yourself in one way but still live your life. Yeah, no, it's 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 perfect. Like, if I sit down at a con, there's a line of people who want to uh-huh. meet me, which is the best. Because yeah. I, for years and years, I sat down at a con begging people to meet me. <laughs> so, uh, that's fantastic. But I don't have, um, like again, t- t- talking with you know, or meeting people th- through the TV show, or, or 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 talking to these, you know, where they're like, you know they have to constantly hide all these parts about them because they don't want anyone to find them because there are crazy stalkers out there who will kill them. Right. Um, I mean, there are crazy stalkers out there who will kill me, but hopefully they're not too close. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, I just had a moment like, yeah, that's true. That's really scary. Oh, wait, we're, we're, we're still recording. <laughs> right, but I do, I, do, I do think comics are unique in that way in that like we are sort of a microcosm yeah. of, of, of what... And, and, we, and we deal with, with a kind of passion that is hard for everyone to understand. Yes, that is not sort of commensurate to the level of impact it's making to the rest of the world. Yes, but yeah, so it's, um, yeah. I mean, but it's also, com- what makes, it's what makes it fun. It's what makes it fun, yes. Yeah. It's like growing up, I mean, who writes your favorite TV show? You don't... Um, even today, like you don't you you see a showrunner's name, but you don't know their face, even though a mm-hmm. billion more people see them, or, or, or yeah. they're infinitely more impactful in what they do. Um, as creative people, they're lesser known than comic book people. Well, you know, it's funny is that I, I mean, a big part of why I'm still doing this right now, I mean, really, why I'm talking to you, why why all this happened is like in '99 or 2000, I forget my first San Diego. You know, I went, and this is before it really blew up. It was busy, but not anything like it was. It would be five, ten years later or something like that. And I just was like, you can just walk up to these people and talk to them. 
And I thought, yeah. I thought this is like if you were a film fan and Martin Scorsese's just sitting at a table. I mean, I, I was standing next to Will Eisner at one point. I wasn't yeah. smart enough to know what to say, but I was smart enough to know, like, that's a big deal. And he was just standing there chatting with somebody. I was like, this is amazing, you know. And to be like, you know, for, for me, um, I've met everybody I've ever wanted to meet in comics for the most part. There's been a couple of people I've actually cordoned off and I was like, I'm not going to meet that person because I don't want – I want a little something to be left. But – and it's not – like, I'm not even I'm not even that special. Like, I was able to do that, you know, and I think that's great. It's really cool. And as a fan, you can you can interact with people. It's it's and if you t- if you if you hold comics to the level artistically of say like films or TV or whatever, then it's the same thing as going to meet, you know, Francis Ford Coppola or whoever. It's the same thing. I think that's great. I, I rem- weren't you in like in line with Drenko once? You helped him find his way or something? Am I remembering some No. Did I make that up? I, mean, I don't maybe, think maybe, that's me. Maybe it's around comics maybe I was talking. I don't know. No, it wasn't me. I know I remember being near Steranko and never um, asking him to do an interview because I was too intimidated. <laughs> it's very intimidating. Yeah, he was. I just thought I was like, I can't get a toehold on where to go with that because <laughs> I just didn't I, I like I didn't know the work well enough to be able to have an intelligent conversation about it. But like I've I vividly remember standing like right there and either, you know, probably Connor was like, just go talk to him. And I was like, no. Can't. <laughs> like Larry Hama was another one just like that. Like I was terrified of Larry Hama, which probably with good reason at this point. But um, I wish I could do that again now. Anyway, yeah, it's it's funny the bar is so low, but those people like for me they've had more impact on my life than uh, quote unquote real celebrities. Like, yeah. like, like, uh, I, like I'm I'm doing my first book now with John Romita Jr. Right, mm-hmm. so I was just I was just in my, my mind thinking of like what has John Romita Jr. done that I've read and. <laughs> And then you think back, you're like, oh my god, it's my entire childhood and in yeah. adolescence, and uh, I mean, like his X Men run. Like I read that shit, like the Zabruder film and Thor. That's the uh, first thing I remember him from, and then I ne- like I remembered yeah. his name from that when I was younger. Yeah, like um, you know, even stuff like Hit Girl. It's like the super mm-hmm. popular stuff, and and uh, the man, um, his Daredevil run with 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 Frank Miller was was integral in me deciding to go to Columbia, which is where I went to college because. It, was, it revealed that Daredevil went to Columbia. I was like, oh, man, Daredevil went there. It must be fine. Uh, wow. Don't ever tell anyone else that. No. <laughs> you would do stupid things when you're a 17-year-old boy. This is the- I know. <laughs> I, have a t- I, have a ma- I have a degree in television because they put the sheet in front of me. Like, what do you want your major to be? And I went, I don't know. I like TV. And I clicked that box. Right. Exactly. $100,000 later. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, but, like, like – uh, John Romita Jr. has had significantly more impact on my life than Tom Cruise, and now I'm working with him. So, I mean, that's crazy to me. Yeah. There are other things that I could talk to you about, but this is a very long show. And so what I'm going to do is you're going to have to do this again at some point in less than three years. <laughs> Anytime. I figure you'd be and okay I'll- with that because I, I, I get the sense you're enjoying this as much as I am. Um, yeah. So let's let's make a date for an uh, an undisclosed time in the future. Uh, and we'll get back to some of the stuff that we didn't get to and maybe some all new things. Yes, we have to talk. I, I didn't even pitch. I'm supposed to be here to pitch things. Fucking. I didn't even get yet. to Heroes in Crisis, which is fairly significant and more recent than any of the other things. <laughs> yeah. That's it's not because most... I don't care. <laughs> well, someone cares. All right. Uh, yeah, well, well I, I'm sure I'll know when you're ready because I'll get an email about it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I have your phone number now. Just. <laughs> 
talk to me. Um, all right, dude. That's this was super. This was really fun. I I, I really enjoyed this. Oh, super fun. Got got so deep. Yep. Yeah, that's a problem I have. <laughs> I'll just I'll just start talking. You put it in your work. I just talk about myself. It's fine. Yeah. Well, you get it what you do. Thanks very much. You are too. And that'll wrap it up for another Talksplode episode. I will see you back here in approximately two months um, for another Talksplode. Thanks to the iFanboy patrons uh, for supporting the show and bringing this back. You can check that out at iFanboy.com slash support or Patreon.com slash iFanboy. And if you want to talk about this show or check any of those things out that, that have to do with it, you can go to iFanboy.com. There's all the other interviews I've done and all of our regular podcasts and things like that. You can follow us on Twitter at, at iFanboy. Uh, or facebook.com slash ifanboy. You can figure the rest of those things out. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Talk to you later.